All right, we are in the middle of a new sermon series, and the sermon series is called God is Here, and we've been using, um, it's loosely based on a book by the same name. It's this book right here by Rabbi Toba Spitzer. She's a Reconstructionist rabbi in Boston. And so in this series, we're looking at some metaphors for God that might be a little bit helpful for us. And so the one that I want to touch on today is a metaphor that I think is actually used quite a lot in churches, and it's the idea of God as a rock. Now, I know I grew up in a church, but I didn't grow up in the kind of church where there were like a ton of hymns that were sung. And I thought, gosh, even not having had that, I could just like sit this week when I was thinking about it. I was like, I can think of like a million hymns that have God as a rock, like in the title, right? Like Rock of Ages. On Christ the solid rock I stand, lead me to the rock. Even like a mighty fortress is our God. For those of you who uh, maybe grew up Lutheran, that was a, that's a big one. Um, so I think this is kind of well-trod territory in some ways. But we're going to hit on it from a slightly different angle. Now, Rabbi Spitzer, she does talk about some of those more, what I would say are like intuitive ways of using the metaphor of God as rock. But she also includes a small section that caught my eye because it was just a little bit different than how I usually imagine God is a rock. And so that's the portion that I wanna use more as like a springboard um, for where we'll go today. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm going to start us out with a verse from Psalm 73. And then I just wanna spend a little bit of time unpacking that particular Psalm because I think that Psalm is a fairly helpful Psalm. And then I wanna connect it with some imagery about God is a rock from Deuteronomy. And it's that bit from Deuteronomy that I thought was particularly sort of um, special or unique the way she was talking about it. So let's start us out here with, I'll put it in the uh, chat, Psalm 73, 26. Though my flesh and my heart waste away, God is my heart's rock and my portion forever. All right, so this isn't just God is a rock, but God is my heart's rock. And so let's start here with the context of Psalm 73. It's like we kind of zoom out here for a second. There are 150 psalms. Psalms are just songs or poems. And the 150 psalms that are in the Bible are broken into five books within the larger book of psalms. Right? So if you go into the Bible, you know there's a big book called Book of Psalms. There's actually five books that comprise that. And so Psalm 73 is the first psalm in the third book. Right? So it's the opening to the middle portion of the psalms. And that middle portion is attributed to a priest named um, Asaph. I'll put his name there in the chat. And then the Psalms of that third book, which are attributed to Asaph, it's uh, Psalm 73 through 89. Those are believed to have been part of like the regular liturgy of the temple at the time. So these were Psalms that would have been chanted or sung as part of worship services. And so Psalm 73 is a Psalm that Walter Brueggemann describes he calls it the theological center of the Psalms, which, you know, I know is a little bit debatable, probably. I'm sure there's other people who would disagree with that. But as I read it, and as I was getting into it a little bit more this week, I was like, I think I really understand the reasoning for calling it the theological center of the Psalms. And it's mainly because the Psalm puts on display these really deeply honest um, grapplings with timeless questions. All right, so I'm going to put the two really big ones in the chat that I think it's addressing. The first is, what good is having faith when I suffer with or without it? And what good is having integrity 
when people who don't act with integrity seem to thrive. They seem to do just fine. That, that second question is also a central question of the book of Ecclesiastes. So here I'm going to put a little bit in here what the psalmist is saying. He's talking about people who don't act with integrity. He's like, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace and they clothe themselves with violence. This is what the wicked are like. They're always free of care and they just go on amassing wealth. And I think we can all like think of people or scenarios where we're like, oh yeah, I know those people or I could name some, some names that come to mind there. And I think the questions, um, you know, those big kind of more existential questions that the psalmists are asking are ones that many of us have asked ourselves. And they're questions that don't have entirely satisfying answers. Right, but by the end of the psalm, the author there, Asaph, he comes around to two thoughts that I think a lot of people who retain some kind of faith in their lives eventually come around to. And so the first is that there's something meaningful to holding on to our integrity that's rewarding and that plays out in our favor over the long haul. Right, so after the psalmist here, he's been complaining about all the selfish and greedy people and how they seem to do fine. And then he kind of makes a little U-turn and he says, actually, you know, looking back, people who hoard wealth, people who are angry, he says people who oppress people for their own gain, they actually do usually come undone. And sometimes it happens in a pretty spectacular way. And the thing that came to mind this week, I, I don't know how many of you have like followed that many business stories or like crypto, but I was I've been watching this thing unfold with FTX, the crypto sphere where essentially it was just one big grift and they made billions and billions of dollars and Rob, it was, it was a Ponzi scheme um, with $8 billion at least missing. But man, when that started to come undone, it really started to spiral. And it was like you saw people who had risen very quickly also fall very quickly. And so Psalm 73, he goes on, because you God have certainly set the wicked upon a slippery slope. You've set them up to slide to their destruction and they won't see it coming. That's a little addition from the voice that I kind of liked. And they won't see it coming. It'll happen so fast. First, a flash of terror and then desolation. Now, I don't know about you, but I personally kind of love a good unraveling story. Um, I think that stories about like self-destruction can make for some of the most kind of satisfying stories that we tell ourselves as humans. Um, you know, I think of like Raging Bull, I think is one of the greatest movies. If you uh, ever watched Nurse Jackie, if you enjoy television shows, I mean, Nurse Jackie is really one of the most sort of masterful unraveling stories of self-destruction. They're, you know, characters on Game of Thrones. I think part of the reason people loved that show is because it's just filled with characters that are just their own undoing. Um, just watch Tar, that was a similar thing. Controversially, maybe, I might argue that like a book like The Giving Tree is actually a coming undone story um, on the part of the tree. I'm sorry to, yeah, Tony Soprano, I see Caroline Nelson, that too. Um, I know some people love The Giving Tree, but it almost feels like a, I'm so like needing to people please that I eventually just deplete myself of all of my resources. All right, so we tell ourselves these kinds of stories to remind ourselves 
that power and money and selfishness, that um, these things have a shadow side. We know that, like some part of us understands that. And so the psalmist on reflection is doing that, right? Just reminding themselves of this. The second thought that the psalmist comes around to is that there's something just helpful to experiencing a good and loving God who's present with us in the midst of suffering, right? Not to like make the suffering go away, but just to be with us in it. And it's like they come to that place of sort of like releasing their need to understand exactly why the suffering exists, um, because that's really an unanswerable question. Um, and instead they, they start to talk about it, like how they felt a divine presence extend a hand to them and to help them in their hardest moments. And I know that resonates with me and maybe it does with you as well, where it's like, I can't quite understand why what is happening is happening, um, but in the midst of it have felt some kind of a consoling presence, um, maybe even consoling, sort of feeling like consoling words in my prayer time. And it's that divine presence that they're bearing witness to here. So Psalm 73, when my heart was embittered and my conscience stabbed with pain, I was adult and I knew nothing like cattle I was with you. And yet I was always with you. You grasped my right hand. You guided me with your counsel and toward glory you took me. Whom else do I have in the heavens? And besides you, whom would I want upon the earth? Though my flesh and my heart waste away, God is my heart's rock and my portion forever. And so we can see that last verse that we had kind of opened with there, that after grappling with these like big perplexing questions and going through a season of feeling a little bit untethered, that the psalmist kind of comes back and is like, you know, in the end, all I know is that I've experienced your presence in some way and then experienced your guidance, even when I was angry, even when I was bitter and not even like paying attention to you. And I really have come to realize that even in those spaces where I have felt just sort of torn open, right, where my flesh and my heart wasting away, that you're my heart's rock. And then they end with God's closeness is good to me. Actually, let me put that in too. God's closeness is good to me. And make the Lord my shelter to recount all your works. Right, so just on a, a personal level, I find it just a super relatable psalm. You get to that space where you just sort of release some things that you know you won't have answers to um, and embrace this idea that like, here's what I can, here's what I do know or what has been helpful. Uh, maybe you've been in that space too. But I would say that even if your spiritual journey like hasn't ever felt shaken by those kinds of questions, I still think that this image of God as our heart's rock can give us a really good, like vivid image of the core of our true selves, right? So this is a quote from Rabbi Spitzer that I particularly liked. She said, you know, the teaching here is that alongside the limitations that are inherent in this human body and mind, there's something else that will not fail me. Rock of my heart suggests that somewhere within myself, I can access the qualities associated with rock, the personality of something strong and trustworthy. And as I pictured, I pictured as like being um, this like rock of my heart, 
it's like a part, um, a little piece of bearing the divine image of God that's held inside of us. And that when we're feeling weak or we're feeling alone, or maybe we're being tempted to do something that we know might not be the most honest thing to do, that we can picture this place inside of us where strength and integrity can find their grounding, right? That there's a place in us that's formed over time, much like stones are formed over time um, by pressure and by heat and by the different experiences that we've had in our lives. Um, while I don't believe that suffering originates with God, I think maybe we can think of God like using um, any struggles that we have or the sufferings that we carry to help form these internal rocks, these rocks of our heart, right? That God takes suffering and repurposes it and it can help us grow wiser, less judgmental and more open and caring and less prone to doing things that might cause disconnection with the people around us. And so this God, this rock of my heart, um, is a picture of the source of wisdom that's been formed inside of us that we can go to and we can draw on that. Now, here's the part of Rabbi Spitzer's writing that um, particularly caught my imagination. Uh, this part's from the book of Deuteronomy. And I don't need to go much into the story about what's happening here. It's essentially Moses has been leading people through the desert. They're about to go into a slightly more hospitable place, but Moses knows that his days are numbered and he won't be going there. And so he gives this sort of, um, he recites this sort of long poem where he's reflecting on their time in the desert and what's happening. And so he just starts out here. This is in Deuteronomy 32. I will call out the name of the Lord, praise the greatness of our God, the rock. Its actions are wholesome. All of its ways are justice. And then it goes on. And this is a little bit cumbersome of a translation, um, but, um, but I, I like it. I like Robert Alter's translation. So <clears throat> this is how he translates Deuteronomy 32. So it goes on. It's talking about God as our rock um, and the ways that we've been nourished and sustained by it, right? So the Lord alone did lead you. No alien God by your side. He set you down on the heights of the land and you ate the bounty of the field. He suckled you honey from the crag and oil from the flinty stone. Sorry, I still got a little cough here. The rock, your bearer, you neglected. You forgot the God who gave you birth. Right, so you can see why I think the wording's a little ungainly, but what I want us to do is just like really consider the picture it's painting. Like this is the sort of thing I'd probably just sort of read through and not think much about. But the picture that it's giving us is that God is a rock who's like given birth to humans, right? The rock your bearer, God who gave you birth, right? So just picture like a rock with a bunch of little rock babies around it. And then the picture is that those rock babies are suckling honey and oil from this mother rock, right? That, that's a weird picture. And with some stretching, I think um, we could kind of get to see how someone's imagination might, you know, kind of come up with honey and oil seeping out of the rock. You know, what I picture are like um, big stony or rocky cliffs, you know, the kinds that are like on the south of England or something. And they have these deep cracks and in those crevices we can find beehives and honeycomb and so you might picture like 
honey dripping down between those rock edges. I think associating the oil with it could be a little harder. I actually read through several commentaries and most of them were, you know, it was a little bit of a stretch. They're like, you know, since olive trees can grow on these rocky hills, maybe we can then imagine oil coming from the rocks. But I thought Robert Alter um, was right. He suggests that we not try and be rational about it, um, but instead just invites us to let the image be a literal image, right? Because this idea of honey and oil just like seeping from rocks is such a visceral and interesting picture, right? I mean, I one of the, I only keep two things on my desk at home. I got a picture of my wife, Rachel, and I've got this little bowl of rocks, mostly from World of Rocks and Ipsy. And so it was like, I was just picking this up and touching it this week and just imagining it just like seeping oil and honey. It's a weird picture. Like who thinks of that? Um, it's like Rabbi Spitzer just says, you know, it's this idea of thinking about God as like a mother rock seeping these things. She calls it quite marvelous. And if we come away with nothing else, I want us to just remember that picture because it's a picture of communal nourishment, right? It's a picture of God providing for their people in the desert um, where sustenance is really hard to be found or sometimes uh, not to be found. And then I think if we take this picture of God as this mother rock with honey and oil, and we connect it back to the idea of God being my heart's rock, it can suggest that there's a place inside of us that we can turn to for help in times of trouble. And there's a place inside of us where we can be fed, where we can find comfort and consolation. You know, last week we talked about God being hamakom, about God being the place, and how that idea helps us locate ourselves in God and God in us. And then I see this metaphor of the rock as kind of being an extension of that one, right? As, as we locate the place as God inside of us, one way we can picture that is as our heart's rock. And from our heart's rock, that's where we can find safety and grounding. That's where we can find and access our core selves that have been shaped by joy, by the hardships in our life, it's also a place where we can find nourishment and strength to act with integrity. And we can find that place that we can just like hold on to when it feels like life is a little bit unsettled or when things are feeling a little bit difficult. Right. So that's that's the part that caught me. I mean, it was maybe one paragraph of her chapter on the heart's rock. But I thought, oh, just that picture of a nourishing rock inside of me. Sometimes just having an image can be helpful to go to. Um, when things are feeling a little bit unmoored. And so maybe that will also be helpful for you. So I'd like to invite you um, for the meditation. We usually do a minute or so of silence or guided meditation. And I thought what we would do is um, just imagine whatever it looks like to you, that place inside of you where your heart's rock resides and picture it as a rock that just oozes honey and oil. And then if you'd like, I'll put the verse back in the, in the uh, chat. Like as you're breathing in, you could pray or just chant like through my flesh, though my flesh and my heart waste away. And then on your out breath, God is my heart's rock and my portion forever. Right, though my flesh and my heart waste away, God is my heart's rock and my portion forever. And so we'll spend about a minute and you can, you can spend that time 
um, picturing whatever is most meaningful for you there. Yeah, though my flesh and my heart waste away, God is my heart's rock and my portion forever. I actually think this would be one of those verses that would be maybe even helpful to memorize. That might be one of those that could be like a helpful mantra in different parts of our lives. Um, and so Holy Spirit, we just we thank you for giving us images that help us can under help us understand. Um, the creator, help us understand who the divine is to us. We thank you that you are our nourishment, and we thank you that you're our rock. We thank you that you locate yourselves both inside and outside of us, that you are everywhere, and that you provide these sort of handle holds that we can um, grasp onto when it feels like things are a little bit hard or difficult. We ask that you would help us to experience you as that, that we would just kind of have this nudge of your spirit um, to remind us that you are our heart's rock in all times and in all places. Amen.